1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Welcome again, folks, to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Right here on AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We're so glad you're with us. And so is Pete Paquette. He's engineering today. Andrew Herdliska produces the show each weekend. And I want to uh, present to you Corby Shuey, pastor of Mount Zion Road Church in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. And uh, his book is called For Valor. Defending the Faith of Those of Worth. Corby, uh, welcome to Orlando. It's uh, so nice to catch up with you. Uh, It's it's a
3: blessing to be able to talk with you, and I I thank you for taking the time to talk with me.
2: You're in Lebanon, PA. What's what's your weather been like, Corby? Have you been hit with uh, uh, snow, ice, cold, or what's going on?
3: It's been cold. Uh, It's been cold. We've had a, a little bit of snow, not as much as some areas further north, but yeah, it's been, been very cold, And uh, but I guess it, it comes with the, this time of the year.
2: Yeah, that's right. Tell me about your book. What's the background here?
3: Well, my book is, actually, I, I was working on uh, completing a Master of Divinity degree through Biblical Life College and Seminary with Dr. Michael Lake, and he has been a great encouragement to me as far as writing and and uh, things like that. Uh, so he, he is the one who has really encouraged me in my writing. Uh, and as I completed the program, uh, the book actually uh, came, It took shape from my thesis uh, upon completion of the, the Masters of Divinity program. Uh, so that's the, the technical background of my book. Uh, the reason I wrote the book is to be an encouragement for those who are uh, those people of faith, uh, for those who are trying to navigate the, the world that we live in, uh, in, in our modern age, uh, to navigate some of the difficulties and the, the trials that we all face. So I, I wrote it as a means to encourage those to stand upon the Word of God and to declare with boldness the name of Jesus Christ in this day.
2: Well, I want to dive in and, uh, and get your thoughts on, uh, on, on some issues here. Uh, describe how the Aztec god retains a degree of influence on contemporary society.
3: As well, to answer that question, I'm going to start by describing how the book is put together. Please. Uh, the book is broken into three parts. The first part deals with some of the difficulties that we see taking shape in our culture, some of the, the deceptions or some of the things that the enemy is using to, uh, to try to distract us uh, away from our faith. The second part of the book deals with God's Word. Um, I, I firmly believe that if we face difficulties in this life, if there are things that cause, cause us to, to question or to doubt or to stumble, I firmly believe that God is going to give us an answer, and that answer is found in His Word. So the second part of the book really addresses the Word of God, and, and as, as I look at the Word of God, what is He saying in regard to our culture now? What, what is He saying in regard to the things that we're dealing with now uh, that are taking shape in our culture? Because, like I said, I, I believe that God gives us answers. So that's the second part of the book. Uh, the, the last part of the book is really our response. If we see these things taking shape in our world, if if we see the enemy trying to attack us and to distract us and to cause us to stumble uh, with temptation or sin, uh, and God gives us the answers, well, then how do we respond? Uh, What is the response for those of faith? What is the response for someone who who proclaims the name of Jesus Christ as their Savior? So that's how the book is divided. Um, To go back and answer the question more specifically that you asked— uh, as I said, the first part of the book deals with some of the deceptions that we can see in our culture.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And as I was as I was putting that part of the book together, I was in, I was researching um, education. Uh, that's one of the the topics that I address, and and we'll probably talk about that a little bit more uh, later on. But I was researching education. Uh, I have an education background. Before the Lord called me into the ministry, I was a public school teacher. Mm. So as as i was looking at uh, the, the direction that education is going from the top down and and as i talk about this i'm not trying to be a discouragement to teachers i'm not saying that uh, that uh, teachers are uh, in the wrong for what they are doing i, I know many teachers uh, from from my background that are that are dedicated uh, men and women who are who are doing their best to equip and to teach and to um to support the, their students so I, i'm not uh, not uh, di- being a discouragement toward teachers, what I'm, what I'm addressing is some of the, the ideologies that are being presented from the top down at the university level. Uh, and as I was doing some research regarding education, there was, there was some papers that I was, that I was reading that dealt with this God, Quetzalcoatl. And, and uh, one paper in particular mentioned this poem called Pensamiento Serpentino, that's a, a Spanish phrase that means serpentine thought, and and this paper was was um, celebrating this god and celebrating some of these these ancient ideologies and and how we should bring these ideologies back because they're going to help us to address some of the things that we're dealing with in, in our modern world. So, and again, this poem Pensamiento Serpentino, the, the, the author of that poem, is also calling for a rebirth of this god and some of these false practices, some of these false. Uh, doctrines that uh, that were used in the past to worship this, this false god. So uh, from a Christian perspective, to, to me, it was alarming as I was reading these things uh, from the university level um, being spoken about as we uh, try to develop practices in education.
2: My guest is uh, Corby Shuey. He's in Lebanon, Pennsylvania. We're talking about his book, For Valor. I want you to talk about... Uh... Lullabies from the Father of Lies and one point mm-hmm. of focus in regard to the lullaby from the Father of Lies can you can you dig into that for us
3: Yes that's the title of the first part of the book as I said it's it's broken into three parts I call the first part The Lullabies from the Father of Lies and in that section I deal with some of the deceptions that are that are coming against us some of the things that are being twisted to try to get us Uh, to to not focus on our faith, to to try to throw us off uh, to a degree. Uh, In that section, Lullabies from the Father of Lies, I deal with a concept called deconstructionism, and there's many aspects of deconstructionism that we could talk about, but specifically I, I deal with the deconstruction of knowledge, the deconstruction of biology, the deconstruction of identity, and the deconstruction of truth. Now, within that Within that topic, deconstruction of knowledge—that's where I delve into some of the practices that are being uh, promoted from the educational, uh, sp- uh, per, you know, perspective. Um, but really, deconstructionism is trying to dismantle uh, standards of practice, to dismantle uh, things that we hold to be tradition or we hold to be systems of of order in our in our culture. And this idea of deconstructionism really comes from the philosophy of critical theory.
2: My guest, Corby Shuey. Corby, um, describe how deconstructionism relates to critical theory. That's a little bit over my head.
3: <laughs> well, uh, deconstructionism is really a core tenet of critical theory. Uh, deconstructionism uh, is, is the ideology that we, that we see all institutions as systematically oppressive. Uh, this is this is where we get the idea that things are systematically racist or systematically oppressive, and because the origin of these systems, the origin of these things that we can see in our culture, traditions, um, things like that, because they are systematically oppressive, we have to deconstruct them. We have to dismantle them to establish a, a new way of thinking. Uh, the Bible and, and Christianity and, and, and faith in general would, would be lumped into that category. Uh, they, they, this this perspective, this this ideology of uh, deconstructionism would would present the Bible as a system that was put into place in order to oppress uh, someone else. So these these things all come from the, the idea of critical theory and how we have to deconstruct things that we see as systematically oppressive uh, in order to to build back a, a better system. You know, we've heard that in the past. Uh, When when our our president uh, has has run uh, in the past, uh, he talked about building back better. So there's this ideology of we have to deconstruct what is now so that we can build back better, build back a better system that's built on moral relativism, where where truth is relative, where truth is is only true to the person that's holding that truth. Any sort of um, standard of truth has to be taken apart because it's systematically oppressive.
2: Corby, what effects <clears throat> do we see in our society as a result of the ideology of deconstructionism in critical theory? And, and how does deconstructionism connect to the transhumanist movement? Well,
3: I think we can see... That we have riots that are called peaceful, we have looting and theft that's called reparations, we have open and accepted drug use, we have good being called evil and evil being called good. We have chaos in place of order and, and i and I think that another result of this ideology, this ideology of deconstructionism taking taking shape from critical theory, leads to a, a very intolerant society uh, not very long ago we we could have people that had two opposing ideas, and yet they could uh, they could agree to disagree because of there's a, because there's a better uh, a better thing to be to be sought after. But we we're getting to the point in our society where, especially people coming from the liberal side of things or or the woke side of things, and they're pushing their agenda. There is no tolerance in that agenda. Uh, if we have an idea that opposes that agenda, they're going to do everything that they can to to dismantle us, to uh, to overwhelm us, and to shut us down. So I think that's another result that we can see that is coming against us from this idea, ideology of deconstructionism, that there is very little tolerance, especially for the people of faith in our world. Um, our, our world is, isn't we, – we used to go – in the secular side of things, we used to at least um, have, have a mutual tolerance for uh, people of opposing views. Uh, even from those who hold a secular worldview, uh, but now the world is very much becoming anti-God, anti-religion, anti-people of faith, because there is a very little there is very little uh, tolerance in our culture. Um, then the second part of that question is, uh, how does deconstructionism connect with the transhumanist movement? Well, that's actually a topic that's very near to my heart. Really, um, I am. It is. I'm dealing with that topic in a greater degree in another project I'm working on now, uh, on the provision of Dr. Michael Lake and Dr. Mike Spaulding. and it, it, the transhumanist movement is really causing us as as humans, as people, to uh, what I call be discontent in the self. Uh, we they, the 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 world, the society that we live in, is pushing us to be. Con- to be discontent in our identity, to be discontent in in how we have been created, to be discontent not only externally, discontent with our bodies, but discontent mentally, uh, discontent with with the the person that we are. And because we are being pushed to be discontent in ourselves, the society that we live in is is causing us to, to try to invent new ones, to try to invent new ways to identify ourselves. Uh, to try to invent new things to uh, alleviate us from what we see as a body of suffering that we are discontent in.
2: My guest in uh, up in Pennsylvania, Lebanon, PA, Corby Shuey. We're talking about his book for valor. We have more with Corby. Stay with us right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990 FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat.
2: Corby Shuey is my guest. We're talking about his book, For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth. Can you describe progressive re- Regressionism in the voice of chaos. <laughs> You're gonna to have to unwind that for us.
3: Okay, uh, that's actually a, a phrase that I use to uh, to describe how sin works in our lives. Um, they the, the two terms progression, uh, pro- progressive and regressive, sound mutually. Well, let me let me start again. This is gonna be edited, correct?
2: Uh, keep firing. You're doing great.
3: Okay, sorry about that. Progressivism and regression. Let me start again. Oh, my. Progressive and regressive sound uh, opposite. They sound as if they are opposite thoughts. But really, if we look at sin and how sin affects our lives, how temptation affects our lives, uh, sin is progressively regressive. And and what I mean by that is if we allow ourselves to be tempted, if we allow ourselves to engage in sinful practices – that those sinful practices will not be satisfied until they draw us further and further and further into sin. So therefore, sin progressively regresses to greater and greater and greater sin. Uh, This progressive regression uh, gets worse until there's something that intervenes. And that's the hope that we can have in our Savior Jesus Christ, that he came to us, that he came to us uh, to walk among us. He's not a distant God. He's not a God that just rolled the dice and hope that everything worked out for humanity, Jesus came to us uh, to walk among us and to demonstrate how to walk out our faith, how to live a life that is honoring to, to God, how to, how to live a life that is, that is in, consistent with faith. He, he walked among us, but not only did he walk among us, he went to the cross for us. He went to the cross on behalf of my sin, and he willingly died on the cross to, to redeem me from my sin. And we can celebrate that, that, that we have a God that loves us to the, to the, to the degree that he came here to walk among us and to, and, and to die for us. And he was put in the grave, but we know that he is no longer in the grave, brothers and sisters. He is alive. He was raised from the dead by his own will, by his own power, so that we have this promise of eternal life, so that we have this promise of, of, of a resurrection. We do not have to be slaves to sin. One of the things that Jesus did when he came is he 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 offers us salvation. We have that choice to be saved in his name. We can claim Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He gives us that choice in his appearing to us. But not only does he offer us salvation, he offers us the power of choice. He gives us the power of choice that we no longer have to be um we no longer have to be bound to our sin nature. We no longer have to, to respond to, uh, to our fleshly desires. We have the choice to be redeemed and to be delivered from them through the authority of Christ in our lives. Uh, so that's what progressive regressionism means, is that if we continue to allow ourselves to, to sin, it's going to progressively get worse until we call upon Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior to deliver us from that.
2: What hope do we have as people of faith against the onslaught of deception? Matthew chapter 8, 23 through
3: 27. This question actually addresses the heart of my book. And as you said, I, I, I talk about, I answer this question in Matthew 8 by, by discussing the scripture there that's, that's revealed to us in Matthew 8. And as I said, this is the heart of my book. Uh, in Matthew 8, we read that Jesus and the disciples were on the galilee uh, they were on a boat and uh, as they were on this boat a storm rises up and and it's a it's a powerful storm and there's wind and there's waves that are battering the boat and as the disciples look at the storm as they as they look upon the the, the wind and the, and the and the clouds and the waves that were battering them they were afraid they were in fear they thought that that the storm was going to overtake them. They thought that the storm was going, to, was going to cause the boat to overturn and that they would die, that they were going to lose their lives in this storm. The disciples looked at the storm, and the storm caused them to fear. They were looking at chaos. They were looking at the chaos that was all around them, and they, and they feared the chaos. The, the error in that fear comes from the fact that they forgot who was with them. As they were on the boat, they saw the storm coming against them. They saw these things, this chaos coming against them. They were afraid of it, but they they forgot that Jesus was with them. They forgot that the Lord and Savior of their lives was with them. They forgot that Jesus had the authority to to calm the storm. And we know that when Jesus came on the scene, he spoke a word. He spoke a word, and the seas were calmed. Uh, The storm was calmed, and, and the disciples were in awe. That Jesus had the power to calm the storm. And really, that's the heart of my book. As I said, we can see lots of things happening in our culture that seem overwhelming. We can see lots of things that that we don't have an answer for. We don't know how to comprehend. We don't know how to to deal with it as people of faith. And if we focus on the storm, if we focus on the chaos, if we focus on the difficulty, we're going to get overwhelmed. We're going to get distracted. We're going to get discouraged. But we have to remember as people of faith, as children of God, that we have a Savior who lives with us, who dwells in our heart through the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to be discouraged. We have a Savior. We have a God dwelling among us who has authority and power even over the most difficult storm in our lives. And when we hear Jesus, when we allow him to speak a word into our lives, he is going to calm the storm. So in essence, he is the end of chaos.
2: Corby Shuey is our guest. He's a pastor at Mount Zion Road Church in Lebanon, PA. Uh, His book, For Valor, Defending the Faith for Those of Worth. Where does revival start, Corby? Uh, Describe your thoughts uh, regarding, uh, well, with revival comes responsibility, right? Mm -hmm.
3: You're right. And to answer this question, I I, I address it in my book by talking about Ephesians chapter 4 and the encouragement that Paul gives us. He, ta- he tells us in that in that chapter to to be a people of faith that walk in a manner that's worthy of our calling, uh, to walk in a manner that's worthy of of who Jesus Christ is in our lives, and I, I really believe that revival starts in our heart. Revival starts in our heart when we choose to be revived, when we when we choose to remember who Jesus is, when we choose to remember uh, what we have been delivered from. We, like I said, we don't have to be overwhelmed by the trials of this life, we can hold on to uh, the hand of our Savior as he leads us and, and guides us through difficulties.
2: Uh, I want to keep moving because this uh, that you're sharing with us is very, very interesting. Why well, do thank you, th- you. Why do you think, Corby, we struggle so much with walking in boldness or in the authority of Jesus? What, what, what's going on here?
3: Well, I think it's because we're afraid of the chaos. We're afraid of the things that are happening around us. We're afraid of the storm, just like the disciples were. They were, they looked at the storm, they looked at the chaos, they looked at the difficulties of the situation that they were in, and because they focused on the chaos over Jesus Christ, because they, they were they were looking upon the difficulty and the chaos in the situation, as opposed to looking upon Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they, they, they were afraid of that chaos. And I think that happens to us in this day. We can focus too much on the chaos around us, the difficulty or the, uh, the struggle that, we are, that we're facing uh, as the people of faith, and we take our eyes off of our Savior. We take our eyes off of who he is. We take our eyes off of what he has come to do, uh, the truth that he has proclaimed for us. We take our eyes off of him, and when we do that, we're focused on the chaos, and that chaos can bring, bring us a, a sense of uh, foreboding or a sense of fear. So the the requirement or or what we should do is we should keep our eyes on on our Savior. We should keep our eyes on Christ because he is the end of chaos.
2: Very interesting. Now, let's move to this important topic. I want you to explain the commentary on weak shepherds and a wandering flock, and and this takes us right to Zechariah 10.
3: Yes, I do look at Zechariah 10 to address this question. And I think Zechariah talks about weak shepherds, and because there are weak shepherds, the people were allowed to wander, the people were allowed to stray, the people were allowed to, to take their eyes off of who God was and who and, and who they are in response to God. Because there were weak shepherds, the, the shepherds uh, were, were too busy seeking after their own self-interests. And I think that we are plagued with that in our day as well. We have and i'm i'm speaking in very general terms here i'm not accusing anyone uh, but i think we we suffer from weak shepherds in in our churches we suffer from uh from weak shepherds as they lead the people and because of weak shepherds the people are 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 given the opportunity to take their eyes off of jesus to take their eyes off of the word of god to take their eyes off of the standard of truth and because they are Allowed to do that because of the weak shepherds, we we have moved away from having biblical definitions uh, of of how we respond to things, or to looking or to looking at the Bible to to try to discern truth from that from God's perspective, and we've begun to interpret things. We've begun to interpret faith according to our own expectations or our our own definitions.
2: Next topic for you. How does Jeremiah 16 relate to the responsibility of the church in our day? Okay, this
3: the, the prophecy that's given here by God through the prophet Jeremiah in, in chapter 16 of the, of the book of Jeremiah is, is very much taking shape in our world today. It's, it's, a, it's a prophecy that, is, that I feel is being fulfilled in the day in which we live. Uh, Jeremiah in that chapter talks about the fact that God is going to send out fishermen. And these fishermen are going are gonna to fish for men. They're going to draw men unto God. Very clearly, we've seen that happen. God sent out fishermen, and he continues to send out fishermen. He continues to send out people, uh, men and women, to, to proclaim the gospel of truth and to draw others unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. So that prophecy continues to be fulfilled today. But after Jeremiah talks about God sending out fishermen, he goes on to say that after this, After I send out fishermen, then I will send out hunters. And this is the aspect of that prophecy that that I think is being fulfilled in our day. Jeremiah talks about the fact that God will send out hunters. God will send out hunters to expose sin, to hunt it down, to hunt down those who are are causing the people to sin, to stumble in sin. And and very clearly, I think that's what God is doing in our day. Uh, He is very much drawing a line in the sand and giving us an opportunity to see deception, to see people who are working to bring deception into our culture, and he's giving us a chance to make a choice. Are you going to stand with God? Are you going to stand on the side of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior who has authority, who has sovereignty over the earth and and the universe and the cosmos itself, or are you going to stand on the side of the enemy? Are you going to stand on the side of deception? So very clearly, I think that that Jeremiah, this prophecy given in Jeremiah, is being unraveled in the day in which we live.
2: Corby Shuey has been our guest. The book for valor, defending the faith for those of worth. We've got more. Stay with us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's AM 990, FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We'll be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word.